I get a double dip today. It's really hot. I have like a film of water over my eyes. Wow. So, one second, sorry. I can see now. Hey. So, before we dig in, we're going to talk a, bit, a little bit about water. Just a little bit. Um, so, water, and you, uh, people don't really get water from like a well or like a bottle of water or uh, something that, you know, you, you can get drink out of. Um, so today, back in the Old Testament, they would have these wells called cisterns. Everyone ever heard of a cistern before? So it's a cistern, all right? So they would drill the, drig, <laughs> well, drill these holes, and they would have water in them. But sometimes they would mess them up, and they would have all this muddy, nasty water. So before we do anything, I have, if, if, I, if this falls down, I'm really sorry, um, so we have these two things of water. Water, yeah. All right, and so I have not coffee, Folgers, but dirt. Um, so right here you would see is a pretty clean thing of water, and so is this. But sometimes when they would do their own holes, their own cisterns, they would get really dirty and really muddy and just become filled with just nothing but icky. Now, if I were to ask you, what would you drink out of? You would say the left one, right? Raise your hand if you drink this one. My guy, I like you. I like you. So, they, this, was, this is what people would drink out of if their cisterns were broken. It was nasty, muddy, but they drank it because they had to drink any stuff anyways. But you have over here this very nice, clean water. Everyone would drink this one, right? This is nice, it's cold. Got out of the, the tap water earlier. Very nice. Um, I might have put a, one or two ice cubes in it to cool it off. Who knows? So this is much more appeasing than this, right? Except for you, uh, you like this one. That's not with you. So we would all go for this one and not this one. But what if I were to tell you we would go for this every day and we don't even know about it? We go for this every stinking day and we'd have no idea. So let's, we're going to dive into that. So if you see in, if it's up on the screen, you see in uh, Jeremiah 2.13, it says, For my people have done two evil things. First of all, they have abandoned me, the fountain of living water, and they have dug for themselves cracked cisterns that can hold no water at all. So you got the nasty mud and you had the, the clear water. So that, that ties into what we're going to talk about today. We're talking about the Holy Spirit. We all have heard the Holy Spirit. We know the Holy Spirit because we're in church. The Holy Spirit is, you know, it's inside of us. It's in this place. We've heard different people say different things. Like some of us have said, well, it's this guy, little guy lives in me, tells me when I'm doing things wrong or not. Or it's the thing that makes the room feel like, oh, we're, we're in a mode of worship. So that's what people say what the Holy Spirit is. But this is what, it, what the Holy Spirit actually is. The Holy Spirit is God. Mind blown, Right? The Holy Spirit is God, just as Jesus is God and just as God is God. So it's not just another extension that just lives inside of us that tells us what is wrong and right. It is actually God inside of us. Because, God, because you see where he has different things, like where the sin disturbs him, where things that we do disturb him. That's where we get our convictions from. That's where we get our, our idea of, oh, I, I get this in my guilt. Why, why am I doing this stuff? So Holy Spirit is God. He is part of the Trinity. 
and he, can, he functions also as our comforter. Not just as our, hey, you're doing stuff wrong, but also, hey, let me comfort you in this time of need. Let me comfort you and give you peace. So in Romans 8, 9, it tells us that if a person does not possess the Holy Spirit, he or she does not belong to Christ. So if you're not even a Christian, if you don't have Jesus as the Lord of your life, you don't even have the Holy Spirit. It reads, you, however, are controlled not by sinful nature, but by the Spirit. If the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he or she does not belong to Christ. In Ephesians 1, 13 through 14, it teaches us that the Holy Spirit is the seal of salvation for all those who believe. It reads this, having believed you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to his praise and his glory. So we see that he is the seal of our salvation, that he is God. And he's only inside the ones who call him Lord. Question number two what people have about the Holy Spirit is how do we even receive the Holy Spirit? So there's a couple, you know, a couple things that I've, I've here. If you want to, you know, look them up as, as we go. So Holy Spirit is a person. Matthew 28, 19 and 2 Corinthians 13, 14. It says how God, God is a person. The Holy Spirit is God. Acts 5, 3 through 4. The Holy Spirit is eternal and holy. John 9, 14. Romans 1, 1, 4, 5, 5, 5. The Holy Spirit is omnipotent, omnipresent, and omniscient. So those are just more ideas of that God is God. The Holy Spirit is God. So if we've claimed Jesus as our Savior, that's, that's really the first step that we get to receiving the Holy Spirit is us surrendering ourselves. If you've done the VBS, everyone's heard about the ABCs, right? Admit, admit and believe and confess. Admit that you are a sinner. Believe that Christ died for you and confess your sins. That's really the first steps of saying, hey, I'm sick of my sin. I want to go towards you, God. I want to get rid of all of my junk and just say, hey, God, take it all from me. So us recognizing our sin, recognizing our state of brokenness is our step to saying, hey, God, fill me with your spirit. Fill me with who you are. I am dying to myself and I'm letting you take over. So that's how we receive the Holy Spirit. Why do we even have the Holy Spirit anyways? That's the third question. Well, in John 14, 15 through 18, it says, If you love me, obey my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate, who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. So for some of us, you know, a long time ago when I heard about what the Holy Spirit was, I thought it was like some guys want to, you know, like a Jiminy Cricket, you know, like a little, you know, little uh, the, the devil and the, and the little angel person, you know, they would always talk to you. I thought it was like a Jiminy Cricket type of character who would just tell me like ideas or thoughts and stuff like that. That's not what it is. That's just, that's your conscience. That's not really the Holy Spirit. Um, so I thought that was the Spirit, I, I thought that was the Holy Spirit, but it's not. The Holy Spirit is, is the Spirit of Jesus, the Spirit of God, all in one, and it teaches us and it shows us the way to go, the, the right things to do, the wrong things to do. It shows us how to live a Christ life. It's an advocate. It teaches us. It shows us. It leads us. 
the book of Acts, where, you know, where the church first started, it, it shows how the Spirit, the Holy Spirit comes into play where, through Pentecost, where, you know, this, this cold cloud comes in and all these, you know, this huge thing happens and the Holy Spirit just fills the, the disciples and all these crazy things started happening. So, going back to the question, why do we have the Holy Spirit anyways? Well, first of all, he turns timid hearts into bold ones. The Spirit has the ability to change the state of people's hearts. So the first one, he changes the timid hearts into bold ones. So in Acts 2, 36-41, it reads, So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this, this Jesus, whom you've crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. Peter's words pierced through their hearts, and they said to him and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter replied. Each of you must re- repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for forgiveness of your sins. Then you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promises to you, to, to your Lord our God. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging all of his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. So, God turns timid hearts into bold ones. You know, you know, Peter, you know, see where he did this really bold and awesome thing. Not even a couple, you know, chapters or books ago, he denied Jesus three times because he was too scared. He wanted people to know that he was affiliated with Christ, right? He didn't want, you know, to be sitting on that cross. He's like, I don't want to be, do what Jesus did. I'm scared of that. But you see where the Holy Spirit comes in and convicts him of that, and he, and he becomes more bold and in the Holy Spirit. So he stands up and he shows, he preaches and he shares about, and the way he does it, 3,000 people become saved in that. They see who God is through Peter's boldness. So he changes Tim and Harson the bold ones. I think about my own life, about how when I was in, in, youth group, when I was in student ministry, I was very timid. I was very shy. When people would go shake my hand, I would like the, the dead fish handshake. You know, we'd shake it and like, oh, that's gross. It's so slimy. And so that's what, that was my handshake because I, I was really scared. Um, and so when I would go to the youth room, I would sit in the far back and they had this really awesome Nintendo 64. So I'll do nothing but play Mario Kart on it. And when it kind of came time for worship, I would go up and just sit in the far back. I would sit down and I wouldn't really do anything because I was too scared to do it. I was too timid. I didn't want to do anything. But soon after that, God took my heart and showed me what it's like to be someone that's not timid, someone that's not scared, someone to be bold in who they are in Christ. So that gives, he gave me from that spirit to where I can stand up on stage and just talk about Jesus and just lead worship and sweat so much and just to enjoy talking about him. That's a huge difference, right? It's a huge difference from someone who's very timid to someone who's very bold in, in what they believe. That's what the Holy Spirit does. It takes a timid heart and makes it into bold. It's 2 Timothy 1, 7, it says, For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power. He doesn't want us to be scared of our faith. He doesn't want us to be scared of what we believe. 
He wants us to be bold in that. He wants us to be bold in, in what we believe in the Holy Spirit. And second thing he does, he turns hardened hearts into passionate ones. Acts 9, 1 through 6 reads, Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went into the high priest and he requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in in chains. And as he approached Damascus on his mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. And he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul asked, who are you, Lord? And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one who you are persecuting. Now get up and go to the city and you'll be told what you must do. Let's jump down to Acts 9, 26 through 31. So then when Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to meet with other believers, but they were all afraid of him. They did not believe he had truly become a believer. Then Barnabas brought him to the apostles and told him that how Saul has been seeing the Lord and was on his way to Damascus and how the Lord has spoken to Saul. He also told them that Saul had preached boldly in the name of Jesus in Damascus. So Saul stayed, so Saul stayed with the, the apostles and went around Jerusalem with them, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. He debated with some of the Greek-speaking Jews, but they tried to murder him. When the, belie- when the believers heard about this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus, his hometown. The church then had a peace throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria and became stronger as the believers lived in the fear of the Lord. And with the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, it also grew in numbers. That's the same guy, you know that? Who wanted to murder Christians. He wanted to take out people who were followers of Christ the way and he has an encounter with Jesus, and, the, and G, Jesus changes his heart. His heart was so hardened to Christ followers. It was so hardened, he didn't want them to be happy little Christ followers. He wanted them to be done and non-existent, gone. Then Jesus stepped in and said, stop that, you're hurting me, you're persecuting me, I need you to change. And then you see where Saul goes from there to a complete 180 and becomes very passionate very passionate for what he believes in, to where he was, you know, debating with Greek-speaking Jews, and they tried to murder him. Like, he, this is the same guy who wanted to take out people. Now he's running from these people. He's very passionate for what Christ did to him. Think about your own life. Are you hardened to what Christ wants you to do? Or are you very passionate about it? Let's take it a step further. If you're very passionate about it, where's the fruits of all that? What are you doing to pursue Jesus? What are you doing to pursue others around you that can see that you are passionate? Because Saul could have easily held to say to himself and hid because he's like, he could have just said, oh, I'm a Christ follower and I don't need to do this anymore. I feel really bad about it. But no, you see where he's very bold about it. He goes everywhere to share Jesus. He goes everywhere to be that Christ follower to anybody and everybody. So what are we doing to be passionate? Or are we just hard-hearted because of our friends made us, you know, they hurt us? Or, you know, the church hurt me, so I can't really do it anymore. I don't feel like I should help anymore because, of, you know, the church hurt my heart, so I can't really, I don't feel like playing for that same team. I'll come and listen to worship, you know, 
I'll come and do that, but I don't really, I don't really want to fill in or fit in or do anything like that. So is your heart hardened or is it passionate? Number three, he turns dead hearts into alive ones. Romans 8, 11 says, the spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same spirit living within you. So what does a dead heart consist of? If I were to ask you, if we were like, went to like a science classroom and we have a little rat and we had to dissect, does that dead heart beat? No. It smells like weird chemicals, yeah, because it's a science room and you're dissecting weird animals. But the dead, the dead heart doesn't beat. It doesn't live. It doesn't have the, the ability to live anymore because it's dead. But because of God's power and his authority, he can take that dead heart and make it into a live one again. It takes me back to thinking about this stuff right here. Every day, we choose to drink the Oreo water, the nasty water, the muddy water. That's our choice. We choose to do it because we live in sin, and so every time we want it, then we drink out of that. It's not so satisfying. It's not fulfilling. Has your sin ever made you satisfied? No. It makes you want more. That's where sin gives into death because we do it and do it and do it until it kills us. So everyone in this room, we've drank it out of that at one point in time or other, or we're still drinking it right now. Doesn't that look gross? Well, we choose to drink it every day. I think about the story about the woman in the well. I'm gonna read it to you real quick. Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John. Though Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually, he came to a Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob had gave, his son, gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. So a Samaritan, soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew and I am just a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you the living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I will give them will never be thirsty ever again. It it becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, this woman said, 
give me this water, then I'll never be thirsty again and I won't have to come here to get water. Go get your husband, Jesus told her. And she said, I don't have a husband. She said, you're right, you don't have a husband for you have had five husbands and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. The woman said, sir, you must be a prophet. So you see where Jesus talks about this living water, this water that can change us, the water that cures us of of our thirst. So you see, we have a nasty earthly water that we choose to drink every day and we have water that keeps us satisfied. Thinking about that, what are you going to drink today? What are you going to drink tomorrow? What are you going to drink the next day? Are you going to continue to be in the spirit? Continue to be with God doing your quiet time, digging into the word, worshiping him truly. Because worshiping and being in the word is not just for Sundays. This is like a pit stop. You get fueled up a little bit and you keep going throughout the week. That's all that Sundays are. Your true worship should begin on Monday. Because worship is an act of worship. Worship is an act of living out your, your walk with Christ. Not, oh, I can live how I want because I, you know, no one's watching me. When you do that, you're drinking out of this nastiness, this nasty stuff, where you're being selfish, when you're being very by yourself. I mean, if I were to drink this water, you would probably gag because this stuff is gross. But you just, you, you keep drinking this every single day. I keep drinking this every single day because it's the world, we're broken. That's why we need to keep saying, God, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. I think about the songs we sang. Like, do it again. I see God move through my life every single day and I still choose to drink this. Because I'm selfish and I'm broken. I just need a Heavenly Father to come around me and says, I love you and I forgive you. But that takes me coming out and say, I repent from that. I'm sorry for that. I just need to keep changing. I need to stop. So it leads us into this, this time of just thinking. Are you going to keep drinking this, this nasty gunk? When you leave, leave here today, when you go to lunch, when you go to, you know, your workplace on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, are you going to continue to drink of this? Or are you going to choose to be in God's word, to constantly be repenting, constantly, you know, dying to yourself daily and saying, God, you're the Lord of my life, being, you know, turned into a bold, passionate, alive believer in Christ? Or are you going to be timid, hardened, and dead? What's your choice? Everyone has a choice. Everyone has, has everything, everything has a choice. Everything has a moment where you decide what to do. So that's the challenge as the band comes up as we, you know, come into this time of response. Are you going to forsake this, this worldly, nasty water? Or are you going to constantly pursue God's goodness? So what is your choice? Are you going to forsake it? Are you going to, you know, cling on to it? The altar is open to pray. I bet any, anyone else in this room would pray over you as well because 
this isn't just a sprint by ourselves. This is a whole journey together. Because we're a family. We, we're, this, we're in this big old muddied world together. So we need to traverse it together. So if you need a prayer, ask someone around you to pray over you. We did that earlier in the service. We prayed over each other for brokenness to be made right, for deadness to become alive again, for lostness to become found. So we're going to pray for your friends. You're going to pray for your family. This is a time to pray over each other. This is a time to rejoice with each other. Not just, let's sing one more song and we're done. We have come into this weird little loop where this is what we do every Sunday. Where we just sing a song and we're out. We're going to get lunch. Take this time to actually be intentional with praying for each other. Going to somebody and say, hey, how can I pray for you? What can I do to pray for you? What's your wins this week? What's your struggles this week? So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for the things that you do for us every single day. Thank you that you give us a spirit not just to be there, but to to guide us, to show us, to turn our hearts into more like you. Father, all we need is you. All we need to be is more like you. So God, take our brokenness, take our lostness, take our hardened hearts and make them into new, passionate ones. God, give us the bonus to pray for each other. Take our selfish hearts and throw them out the windows, Father. Make us selfless. Make us more on fire for you. Make us more like the church you called us to be. God, change us for what you want. Change us for your will.